My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our guest today is Jennifer Meffert, who I first met in 2013 during a transformative experience that has shaped the way we both show up, personally and professionally. Jennifer is passionate about creating meaningful moments, specifically focused from the moment a candidate signs an offer letter. Adopting the latest terminology of experience architect, Jennifer spends her days enhancing the onboarding experience for Deloitte Global. She has informed and influenced every moment along the candidate to employee life cycle as a HR partner or consultant. Her leadership philosophy was largely shaped early as a teacher and Peace Corps volunteer and further honed as she led multiple teams and oversaw HR functions at a startup and mid-sized consultancy. Jennifer believes the most important moment along the employee life cycle is often dismissed. The job offer is accepted and the equipment is set up, but the rest of the onboarding process is inconsistent at best. She hopes to show how everyone in a company plays a role in creating a welcoming and inclusive work environment for new hires. So, Jen, welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Thank you. So happy to be here. I have to say, it's great to reconnect again. We were just commenting there before the podcast began that the last time we met was eight years ago on the Adaptive Leadership course in Harvard. So how have you been? Good. I I actually want to correct it. I think it should be seven years because we're just not counting 2020 in the calculation. That's just, that, that is good with me. Remove it from the calculation. <laughs> um, but uh, since we met, um, gosh, I feel like so many life events have happened and changed. But yet yeah. I see you and I feel like no time has passed at all in some respects. Well, and, 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 and likewise, and likewise. And our topic today is remote onboarding or onboarding remotely. So mm-hmm. for our listeners, what is onboarding anyways? You know, in, it, what's it like even before it, it was done remotely? Yeah, so I feel like there's been a pretty strong evolution both for me personally, but um, in the industry around what is onboarding. Historically, I think people have always viewed onboarding as orientation. Yeah. As day one orientation. And now we know, and corporations are very much investing in this, it happens in the candidate experience. You're already shaping the experience that a new employee is going to have. And once they say yes, that's really where onboarding begins. And in most organizations, we feel like it continues on through the first year. 
um, various strategic points of development, of um, connection, of review that, that go into it. So orientation is now but one facet or feature. Um, and while it is important, those first days and moments, it is by no means the only aspect of onboarding that someone should pay attention to. So in terms of orientation, is, is this like before what might happen if you're first onboarded, here's your desk, here's your immediate neighbor beside you, here's your job description, here's your computer, you know, here's maybe oh. company history. What, what might that orientation look like and, and how has how it maybe progressed and what, what, what does, does good look like from an onboarding perspective? Yeah, I think historically, you're right. Uh, orientation was very much a few aspects. You have the logistics. I need you to be able to access the, the systems, know, know how to do your job, have your email, that sort of thing. Here's some cultural things. What is the company um, culture? What's the company values, the mission, that sort of thing, making sure that that's, that's known. And then, you know, here's your manager and kind of a handoff in many respects was the historic and in many ways the, the very basic fundamentals. Yeah. Um, now, similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like if those are basics and they're non-negotiable, you have to have them, yet we've got to self-actualize here and there's got to be more to it. So letting people, it's not just having knowing who your manager is or who your neighbor is, it's actually facilitating opportunities for connections to be made, mm. not just with your teammates, but across the organization. So how can you find your community? And you know, in today's day and age of um, diversity, equity, inclusion, how do you find people who you can relate to, but how do you know your environment is inclusive? How are you creating inclusive moments from day one? Um, so I think those are those are now things that people are looking towards. You're seeing some introduction of gamification in okay. in companies. So um, WeWork in the past, I I recall uh, learning that WeWork was doing scavenger hunts with new hires, which okay. I thought was kind of an interesting way to think about onboarding. Is it is a scavenger hunt? How can I make this fun and make it you know find how to access, you know, this form. And then once you find that form, you find another clue and it takes you find this person who manages, you know, this particular department or whatever it might be that's unique to your organization. But I love the idea of, of, of gamifying it, even though I know that's a buzzword today. Yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating concept. So again, it's a bit like, you know, managing, people's expectations as well and transitioning then into that new job, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I feel like onboarding is one of those shared life experiences mm. that we can more. all talk about. Well, at least in the U.S., your job is very much considered a quote-unquote qualifying life event. Yeah. And that terminology comes from the fact that in the U.S., your health insurance is tied to your employer. Okay. And so in order to change your insurance, you need a life event. And changing jobs is considered a life event. And when I think about the other life events, 
not everyone gets married. Not everyone Mm. has a kid, but almost anyone can relate to having a new job. Yeah. And so I feel like onboarding is one of those shared experiences that no matter if you're onboarding as an executive or as, you know, a call center um, or customer service rep or whatever it might be, you can relate. Yeah. And we all need um, the physical things, the logistics, but there's also a feeling of welcome that we want to, that we want to feel. And I've always felt that when you get an offer and you say, yes, there is such a high moment of excitement and anticipation. The last thing you want is to begin regretting that as you go through the, the onboarding process. So again, in, in terms of that, people leave, you know, people leave people, you know, they don't leave yeah. companies, you know, and it's a bit like this is where we're going into, well, we're making people feel really welcome, you know. Mm-hmm. So how, how have expectations changed in the last number of years compared to the orientation to where we're expecting this big welcome to be part of an organization, part of a team? Yeah, I think maybe it's a bit of... um we always look to big tech as being a driver of a lot of company cultural changes, whether they be benefits or, or in this case, onboarding. Um, and if you follow some of the big tech, you know, there's always, there's been the movement to swag, you know, this, yeah. the sending of not just a computer, but also a sweater or a shirt yeah. or, um, you know, those, those things that go on the back of your phone. It's yeah. Like, any random swag that you might be able to get you you've seen that be upped and upped um so now people get these care packages and boxes and they get to unbox their new hire experience which i've seen now if you don't get it if you don't get swag you see envy or you see people thinking you know i didn't i didn't get a t-shirt yeah. or I onboarded before they started that process. I missed out on the t-shirt, you know, and now there's envy for new hires that are, as the the process gets better. Um, But those are some things that are really external and easy to observe and see. I think there's some intrinsic changes that have happened um, around how do you personalize onboarding? Mm. Just like any kind of marketing, you want to have a consistent experience, but you want it to be tailored to the individual. So how do you at scale for some big companies do that? Um, I think small companies have an advantage in their ability to customize and personalize that experience a little more. Um, I recently read um, the Heath brothers wrote a book called the power of moments. And in it, they talk about the company, The Motley Fool. And The Motley Fool is like a finance advisory company. Um, But they send a survey out ahead of time. And all their new hires start on a Friday. And they take the survey responses and kind of outfit your cubicle or your space. So if you went to a certain college, they're going to have that represented for you. So they, they personalize your space. And then another thing that I absolutely love, not only that they start on a Friday, but the new hires take around kind of a afternoon snack bar cart as a way to meet other people. And they're delivering, you know, 
um, alcoholic, non-alcoholic sweets, treats, and things to their fellow um, staff. I don't know how that's evolved in, in virtual times, but I found that to be a very personalized and unique experience um, that was outlined in that book. Well, we're talking about unique experiences and expectations and transitioning into this uh, new new job, you know, and it seems like there's a huge amount of efforts and thought that goes into this, you know. So really what you're trying to do is you're trying to build that rapport with people, that trust with people, and to people understand, you know, that network. In a, You're kind of shorten, shortening the learning curve for them to hit the ground running. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Totally. And um, back to your question kind of of the growing importance and focus on onboarding, there are some key operational metrics that professional, you know, that leaders, HR and otherwise look to that might drive some changes and some upgrades mm-hmm. to onboarding. Um, some of those being, what is your under one year turnover or your under one year attrition? Yeah. And, you know, if you're serving people at various points and asking them, you know, have you met with your manager? Have you set expectations uh, for 30, 60, 90? Have you, um, do you feel welcome? Are you looking externally? Do you see yourself here in a year or two years? You can start through those pulse surveys, kind of seeing if there's some cracks in the process. Mm because as you mentioned, it takes a whole network of people and those that are overseeing onboarding structurally aren't the people day-to-day that that individual's expe- like interacting with. Yeah. You can provide as much guidance as in expectations and checklists, but if, that's, if it's not happening, how are you, how is that bubbling up to you before it's too late? And so yeah. I think through those kind of surveys and um, and really just talking to people, talking to new hires and, and learning about their experience. Um, you can also see our new hires referring candidates into your onboarding process because if people are excited and they're happy with the choice they made, they're going to ask, tell their friends, right? Um, yeah. So you see an uptick. So there's different indicators, I think, operationally and experientially with the survey that you can kind of figure out are things are the trains operating as scheduled? Yeah. And is there any way to keep your finger on the pulse in terms of, you talked about those early indicators. So is there a kind of early warning signs where this mightn't be working out maybe due to a manager not giving performance reviews or um, giving feedback, or maybe there's not enough role clarity, or maybe my team is inclusive. Like how, how is that measured or how is that captured? Primarily through surveys. Yeah. At various points along the employee cycle. I mean, everyone, I think nowadays has an, at minimum an annual survey they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're seeing more and more people um, and more companies invest in at least quarterly surveys to try and get that, uh, that information. But with new hires specifically, there's a whole different survey track because while you're surveying your whole employee base, corporate, level on a regular basis, you're also trying to track what's your first week like? What's your first Mm -hmm. month like? What's your first three months? And there's tons of software now that's really um, incorporated into HRIS 
yeah. um, that allow for you to, to put the, to just set it and let it go and forget it, which is yeah. so powerful to be able to set like, okay, I can go ahead and set these intervals where I want to be checking on these employees and maybe you create incentives for it because, you know, people get survey fatigue, they get overwhelmed, but yeah. um, hopefully you're getting good information um, and complementing that with conversations. You know, mm. uh, I think it's really important and something I've always done in every position I've had is having one-on-one check-ins and reaching out to people, almost having office hours where you can hear and how people are doing Um it becomes harder and you have to be far more intentional virtually is one of the huge shifts. Yeah. And, and for me, then I'm trying to, I suppose, get a picture in my head. Is there a kind of like a, a journey map then for onboarding? So we say, for example, you know, interview process, that's what you're saying. It's where it's starting. What are the different milestones along the way? Yeah. I mean, I would say it in, um, what's the word indirectly begins then mm. I would say most onboarding the way we view it as purists, I guess, in the onboarding world would say at the time of acceptance of your yeah. offer. So from acceptance to day one, that pre-hire is one of the big moments. Mm-hmm. And then you've got day one to, to week one, which is kind of a huge chunk of that orientation yeah. And then after it, it becomes kind of that post new hire onboarding, which in many ways goes from week one to year one. Yeah. Um, until you really feel like that person no longer feels like a new hire and really feels like just an, and not just an employee, but as an employee that can be checked, that can fall into the regular cadence of surveys um, and check-ins. So those would be the three buckets, pre-hire, day one to week one, and then week one, usually to 90 days, I would say most people are tracking pretty closely. So what are the challenges then that people have, you know, in terms of remote remote onboarding? So I've had a couple of experiences where I've talked to clients or I've talked to friends who started a new job and they're not, you know, anywhere near getting, you know, we don't know who to contact, you know, Mm -hmm. all those kind of, that informal network they don't know who to ask for something you know how do we how do we navigate that what are the challenges I think you're completely right there are so many challenges both on the part of the new hire and the the company on how to adapt something that was working or that they felt was working and that where they were constantly tweaking and now to feel this abrupt turn of the apple cart and you are uncertain what to do or how to adapt your, your processes. But I think there's a lot of exciting stuff happening. Um, and one thing is you have, like I said earlier, is you have to be intentional. There's no, you can't fall back on my door's always open. Um, it's now you have to really be purposeful in, in those interactions. So, um, when this, when COVID hit the, the company that I was working with at the time, you know, it was, we had a spattering of virtual onboards with every group, you know, every other week, but we were definitely catering to come on site, arrive together, sit in a conference room. Yeah. And then we 
because it was a consulting uh, company. Then we ship you out to your client site. And really, there's a whole nother level of onboarding then <laughs> onto your project. Yeah. So what I thought was really positive about the pandemic is that it equalized the playing field. No longer mm. was there this stratification of experiences of those that were based in headquarters and the people who felt kind of left out and they couldn't get to headquarters. They couldn't attend the inlet in the live in-person sessions. So the virtual has, has helped with that. Um, granted there's limitations, but I think you can lean into it. Um, not making it just one day was huge. Something that we adjusted to was knowing there's so much information. People often say it's drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. And then it becomes a blur. And yeah. you know, it's, you know, two weeks in and you're trying to fill out your insurance forms or trying to fill out various forms and you forget. And I'm sure they went over it, but I don't remember. And and then you're trying to remember, is there anyone's name I remember that was in there? So the virtual allows for you to break that up, you know, scatter it over a few weeks where you're diving into certain company values on a deeper level, but you're doing it um, incrementally so it doesn't feel so overwhelming. Of course, there's some things that have to happen day one, week one, but those other things, those nice to have, those things you want people to actually remember, space those out. Um, that also allows for you to incorporate leaders into those conversations. Um, when it's one day and it's all day, it's hard to find people available to yeah. lend their support. So if you break it up, it makes it that much easier to to generate support and to get the CEO or to get your C-suite available for 30 minutes, yeah. one Thursday a month, they're all in. But if you told them every day we need you, every Monday we need you for two hours, less likely, right? Yeah. Um, and then another thing we did, we, we created like a people pop-up. My department is called the pe people department. So on Fridays, every Friday, we would have an open house, kind of an open Zoom for an hour. And everyone who was in the people department would be on the line, including finance, um, including your security folks, so that this is a free-for-all, ask any question you want. You don't know whose name, who to go to, here's an open forum. And so kind of an office hours that you're sending that invitation to all new hires and letting them know that that exists. Um, so it just, it gives them this space. It gives them permission, really. Because I think oftentimes as a new hire, you're like, who do I ask? I don't want to seem stupid. I don't want to seem like I wasn't paying attention. Where do I find this? So it creates a safe space for people to feel comfortable to ask those questions. Yeah, that is, that's really reassuring for people, isn't it? You know, um, mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I'm curious then is, is that we have then certain aspects then of, or our jobs then where we have to get up to speed to go, well, who should I know to reach out to? How yeah. are decisions made? How do I get up to speed with, you know, the technical knowledge that I need to know? So there's kind of like, there's lots of different pieces then we have to navigate. So how do people overcome those challenges there? So this is what I'm hearing from mm -hmm. clients. Like what, yeah. what advice might you give them? 
I would say you have to lean into the the discomfort because mm. it's not going to be easy. I think a lot of people really fall into the comfort zone of the people they know and going to the people they know that they forget there's a new hire that no matter how many times you say, oh, I'm an open door, they don't know you and they don't yeah. know what to go to you for. So, mm. and in this environment, I can't walk by your desk and see if you seem annoyed or if you seem in a good mood, if you're on the phone, like, I don't know if I'm interrupting you or not. So mm -hmm. what are those signals that we can show? Um, how can, there's some places that are doing, you know, virtual water coolers that have a Zoom that's open all day, yeah. allowing people to kind of come in, which I think is a great step. Um, but I would recommend that organizations have ambassadors or, or HR professionals, at least on that Zoom which it gets hairy because you don't want to have people feeling like, oh, HR is checking up, but yeah. you also want to have someone that's kind of curating a little bit yeah. and always available to answer questions or redirect people. Um, but you really want to try and create opportunities for people to collaborate and to connect. Mm -hmm. um, and, and some of that relies on the new hire survey, like I was alluding to, that yeah. some organizations do. How are you taking that information and make drawing connections across your organization that might not be structural? So this person may not be on your team, but you both uh, studied abroad in Russia. And so you might enjoy a coffee together, yeah. you know, or virtual coffee. How can you take the information that you already have and help people make connections that they're not likely to do on their own? Yeah. So if somebody is new, they, you know, they're like, I don't even know who to talk to, where you're actually doing the opposite. Instead of them reaching out, you're reaching out to them. Mm -hmm. So it's the current existing employees that are, that are actually, you know, reaching out to people rather than waiting for the other person then to make the move. Exactly. I'm a big believer in off ramps, you know, make it yeah. easy for people. And it doesn't help for you to say, well, oh, you could have found that, well, but they didn't. So how can, if I have the information, how can I at least model it or create a first wave of people that do it that then kind of generates that momentum? So I think it, it does require some effort. Um, and, and I think it should be a burden, at least initially, that falls heavily on the, the HR and internal staff supporting onboarding to help make those connections. And, you know, what are the other gaps then that are being really highlighted then now in terms of, you know, working remotely? Because some people will have never seen even the building that among their teammates, you know, what, how do we overcome these challenges? Um, I fear I won't have all the answers, but I'll have some, some answers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some organizations are pretty sure they're never going back into uh you know, a brick and mortar, they're never going back into an office setting hundred percent. So, but, but even before COVID, there's a number of very successful companies that have always been virtual. Mm. Um, Basecamp, which is a project management software is an organization that's always been hundred percent virtual. And when COVID first hit, I remember looking at a lot of their resources that they make very available and very public 
um, about communication guides because some of the communication principles should be practiced whether you're in person or not, but the idea and the terminology of asynchronous communication has come up a lot in the last year. And yeah. it's like, well, what is that? And, and then when you start to embrace it, you start to think, why did I ever require everyone to be on at the same time? We can clearly communicate and provide updates. And, you know, that meeting could have been an email if only I'd thought about it, but it's just so easy to default to, well, let's just all jump on a call. That's not really convenient or practical for everyone. If they have caregiving at home, if they have other distractions, we're having to be far more mindful. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I, 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 might, I might say it's other priorities rather than yeah. distractions there, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. That, <laughs> so, that is a so, very good nuance. <laughs> and then, you know, then I, I might, you know, flip this then towards someone that's a, a complete new hire, right? Mm -hmm. And you're managing a team, but then there's that gap between that product knowledge and how, like, do you know how long actually something takes in terms of a task to take? Like, what advice would you give to people when there's a bit of that, that gap in terms of knowledge? Um, I think for any team and any manager that's kind of welcoming a new hire, it pays to spend the time to do the reflection of what is our team dynamic mm. and what is it that we need from this person? Did we hire them to um, because we needed somebody with a with a unique skill set that no one else in this team has? And what we're really looking for them to do is to poke holes in things, or you know, like what are, what were we hoping to get out of this new addition? And how are we creating an environment that allows that person to start to behave in that way? Mm -hmm. um, there's this is sort of related, um, but there's a really great Disney Pixar short um, called Pearl, P-U-R-L. And it's a ball of yarn. And Pearl is starting her new job in a at Bro Corporation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's all of eight minutes. But what it shows is that this, you've got this hot pink ball of yarn kind of coming into a bro environment with all this energy. And then throughout the eight minutes, you know, classic Disney, they take you on an emotional journey. And at one point she completely changes and she becomes, you know, in a suit and is really professional and kind of joking with everybody. But then she's lost what was unique about why they probably brought her in to to change up the environment mm. um, and to find new ideas and new approaches to things. Um, I think it's really important that we always think about why we hired somebody, what we're looking for, and then don't uh, hold it against them when they try to provide it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think that's why I say I, it takes a lot of introspection prior to that new hire even starting on the team. Um, I've seen some managers, and I think this is a great practice, that have created a kind of a how to manage, how I manage, almost uh, get to know me, like little portfolio of 
Here's how I like to check in. Here's my preferred form of communication. So you're dispelling any myths or preconceived notions that that new hire might be coming in with because of the way a previous manager managed or communicated. You're able to say, here's what work I have found works best and gets the best out of me as a manager. Let's work together to see how this, you know, works with your working style. Um, but from a product onboarding, you know, I think it's just being patient and understanding that there's going to be times where the person doesn't know and that's okay. Try to remember that there was a time when you didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and teach it. I think, William, you're such a person that embraces opportunities to be curious. And I think holding that curiosity and saying, okay, what is, what is this person challenged with learning? And is that, is that something that I can actually use to make this product better that I wouldn't have thought of? Um, So I think it's learning through new eyes. That's also really powerful. What I noticed a pattern through a lot of what you're saying is there's a lot of intentionality in terms of strategy, intentionality towards conversations, even mm-hmm. in decision making, for example, is this the right communication at the right time? And mm-hmm. then I'm thinking about other people who may not that have that intentionality where people feel a bit lost when they first join a company or in the first couple of that 90 days that you were talking about. So I remember talking to somebody recently and they were asking me about motivation and because they weren't motivated then, there was a lot of Zoom fatigue going in as well because they didn't know how to do the job on their own. And, you know, I really felt for that person because the person then was really struggling. So, you know, like... How, how might that person navigate, you know, that path? What, what are the questions they need to ask of their manager or their team? You know, especially if people are really stretched in a yeah. team that, they, you know, the manager might be a bottleneck then because of three new hires or, you know. Right. Yeah. And you raise a good point because uh, I was speaking with a friend of mine who recently in December started a new job, big company, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. Fortune 50. And she is on a small team and she said, I need a lot of people on these group Zoom calls that we have, but I really only know my manager. Yeah. And there's no one else on my team. So I can't continue to have my manager be the answer to all questions. I need somebody else to go to, but also a very real and normal fear to feel like, everyone seems really busy and not just busy, like overwhelmed. Everyone has a lot going on. So it almost felt as she explained it inappropriate to ask for 20 minutes to get to know somebody. Yeah. Right. And my answer to that is that that's why I feel like it needs to be systemic so that you're Mm -hmm. releasing that new hire and the colleague from feeling the burden of either saying yes or saying no, or, you know, making time for something. Do you have a cadre of onboarding ambassadors or onboarding buddies is the term often used? Yeah. How are you systemically matching people and pairing them and setting expectations that this is somebody that you can meet with weekly. 
The expectation yeah. of this onboarding advisor is to introduce you to certain people and it's their job to make time for you. So don't feel bad and asking for it, you know, like some yeah. sort of way to, because it's a very real pressure and it's completely normal to feel that way. Yeah. So how do you remove it a little bit and, and let people feel like, oh, okay, this is just, I don't have to feel bad. They've, yeah. they've obviously signed up for this. Yeah. And when I'm hearing that, I'm hearing that the, then you're, if a manager's overloaded, you're sharing the risk. So and then you talk about talent attrition, you know, there's no talent flight then because the responsibility lies in the network of advisors, those yeah. onboarding advisors, rather than just one or two people. Yeah, it's such a powerful observation that I didn't even realize I was maybe making. <laughs> but, but yeah, it is. I think that that burden should be distributed because then there's no central fail fail point. There's yeah. no one person that you're going to blame for, and I don't think it should. So then you have shared responsibility and shared pride. Yeah. Over that person's growth and um, and welcoming into the company. And that that brings me, you know, to to think about you know that organizational culture. Then how do you really get to know a culture? Then how do you get to know? how decisions are made, where decision-making power is, you know, what we really place importance on, you know. So mm -hmm. I'm still, you know, I think there's still a gap there in terms of, you know, remote onboarding for that culture piece, you know, that yeah. the water cooler piece uh, as well. You know, what do you think? No, I think that's true. I think there's a lot of companies that are not sure who they are without an office. Yeah. A little bit so hard to know an organizational culture that when it hasn't even been figured out yet in this context mm. because you may value relationships and networking how are you as a culture as a company supporting those virtually or changing how you um, talk about relationships and, and building relationships and stuff um, in a virtual environment. So I think we're just in a transient moment right now where I think some companies to give them some slack aren't quite sure how to transfer their values to a virtual environment to some degree. But um, on top of that, I do think that um, new hires, Nowadays, millennials, I think it's millennials and Gen Z, they're saying could have, you know, what is it four jobs by the time they're 30, you know, will have yeah. more than seven jobs in their or seven different employers, I should say, in their career. It's very different um, from the olden days where I onboard you, I, I inculcate you into the organization. And that's it, you know, you kind of grow yeah. with the organization. Now it's, how do I shrink that? timeline. You know, I've got to get you on, make you feel welcome, hope this is a fit and a fit for a period of time, I would say at least a couple years to be worthy of the investment um, and know that you're going to go out and I hope you continue to be an ambassador for the company, you know, and, and continue to, to recommend it or work with that company. Um, so it's just a very, there's a very large shift and how I think companies and corporations are engaging with employees, which I think is probably a meta answer. <laughs> I'm not really answering specifically. Yeah. Um, 
your question, but that's what made, it made me think. And you made a, a really good point then because you talk about, you know, um, newer generations that are coming up then, right? And this mm-hmm. is where what's happening is, is that if we invest in onboarding, then that re- talent retention then will stay longer. So we're actually getting more value for our money. And then we don't have a knowledge drain or a talent quite happening within the business. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's so many benefits to it. Um, it, it makes me think about, um, when, and you know this about me, William, I was in the Peace Corps in, uh, which is the U S, um, organization that sends, uh, citizens to developing countries to improve infrastructure or support communities in some way. So I went to the Caribbean in 2005 and I remember we had two days of staging in Miami. So it was 50 wide-eyed, you know, idyllic Americans in uh, Miami for two nights, getting some shots, like getting some onboarding, some introduction to the organization, setting some expectations for the next few weeks of training and that sort of thing. But also the intent was kind of to scare us because the message was don't get on the next plane if you don't think this is for you. Yeah. Which is powerful. I mean, in that context, because it's like, I don't want to continue investing resources and your time. If we can make this decision and paint the picture of this experience accurately enough that you can make an informed decision about how you want to spend the next, you know, two years of your life. And there were people who didn't get on that plane. Yeah. And I think building that metaphor back to the company, it's, I want to do that in the interview process. Yeah. I was just about to ask that. Yeah. Tell me more. Right. Like I want to move that. I want to be realistic. I'm not interested and I feel like managers have to walk a tight line. I want everyone you interview, you want to want the job. (laughs) You want to feel wanted, but you also have to be realistic about no job is perfect and there are going to be challenges and there's going to be um, hurdles and there's a need. Otherwise, why would we be hiring? So um, all of those elements need to be clearly outlined and conveyed during that candidate experience and the interview process. So that way, once they've said yes, you're not then surprising them and doing, you know, a bait and switch of, I know you thought your job was going to be this, but that other duties as assigned is really where we spend the time. Yeah. And then you're disappointed. I, I, I'm glad you said that because I've got that feedback so many times where people felt they were sold a pup, you know, yeah. you know, in terms of like, well, this is not the expectation, you know, and especially when you have all these brand ambassadors and all these people saying great things about your organization and then reality hits. And this is where there's such a mismatch between the expectation and the reality that of course people are going yeah. to be too motivated. But I do caution even my own, uh, myself, my own thinking is that while I do feel like there's a lot of pressure and, and responsibility on that interviewing team and, mm. and the recruiter, there are some external, you know, 
expectations, some that are realistic and some that are unrealistic because some new hires are very early in their career. And, yeah. you know, they don't, they don't know what to expect. Even when you're trying to tell them, you know, things aren't perfect, but they might not be hearing it. So mm. I don't know how to, I don't know the answer to that, but I do think it's something that people should be aware of and attuned to that have the people who are in the interview process also share their expectations, which they may not have even articulated. Um, mm. But but try and get, what do you think this new job is like? Or what are you hoping it is? So that then you can try and start putting those pictures side by side and start looking for similarities as opposed to differences. And it seems to me there's... Uh, an aspect for mentoring that kind of starts at that interview stage really isn't it and you're kind of mm -hmm. in that interview stage you're nearly matching people up who might that mentor be within an organization especially if they're they're younger you know so that's that I think that's there's lots of overlapping you know strategies and drivers for talent engagement from the very interview stage isn't there yes I think recruiters are such an impressive group of people with that carry a heavy burden um, because recruiters work typically within a talent acquisition or HR, yeah. but are expected to know and understand what the team context is like for that mm. position they're recruiting for. And I, all the recruiters that I've worked with are so impressive and they work really hard to understand and get to know the people that are working in those positions so that they can paint a good picture. Is this a challenging interpersonal team? Let yeah. me be clear. There's been high turnover or this is a new manager or, you know, what are things that might be good um, things to set expectations, ways mm -hmm. to mold the expectations of the new hire without it being negative, you know, just saying, let me give you a little bit, a lay of the land. Yeah. Um, in a way that allows them to be a little bit more understanding of some of the things that they're likely to encounter. Yeah. So there's elements of candor there that you're bringing yeah. in in terms of that reality uh, setting. I think that's, that's wonderful. And that creates that sustainable job process, a job process, that onboarding process. And, you know, yeah. then we, we you talked about diversity then, you know, mm -hmm. and the onboarding piece, you know, that's that's part of the, the recruiter's role as well, isn't it? Is to mm -hmm. know who's actually within the organization there. So there is yeah. a, a huge piece of mapping going on within the organization there. And I suspect that's all done through whatever uh, IT systems that you have in place. Yeah, it was interesting. Just recently, I saw Google does, um, if you're within their recruiting process, the email that you get from a recruiter includes a link that says, if you're interested to talk to somebody in a similar role or on a similar team, here's how you can do that outside of the recruiting process. So okay. giving candidates a way to indicate their interest of being connected to somebody that doesn't have any say in their, whether they're being hired or not, but mm. is purely to talk culturally and what and paint a picture for them. I thought that was a, a really nice invitation that's being offered 
And like I said at the beginning, like these tech companies really start shaping expectations uh, for everybody else. So eventually I feel like it'll yeah. become commonplace. And like you said, linked into an ATS or an HRAS or something. So just for the terminology, what is ATS and HRS? Sorry. Sorry. No, an ATS is an applicant tracking system. Okay. Um, and then an HRS being your human resources information system. So the technology or platform that has all of your employee information, employee files, um, all that good stuff. And you're and sometimes they're one and the same. I'm starting to see the HR stack, you know, start to congeal in many ways and try and have one tech system from beginning to end. But oftentimes you've got a separate ATS from an HRAS with a bridge of some sort. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's, it's fascinating, you know, and, and this is the thing is, is a lot of companies have may not have these resources available to them. Totally. I would say I'm, I've worked for big companies um, primarily throughout my career. And so you start to take these things for granted, but, you know, smaller companies, you know, with less than a hundred employees, which is yeah. by far most companies in the world are not dealing with super sophisticated systems and technology. And so yeah. the ability to manage this data is a real challenge. And so I know for myself, and I encourage anyone who's in an HR adjacent role to take a data analytics or to take some, you know, advanced uh, data science kind of courses or online courses that can help you to understand and manipulate these numbers to look for trends. Okay, I'm sure that's fascinating as well. Um, there to see what 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 gets populated from the data points that you're looking at. Yeah, and I'm the been curious about other initiatives. So you seem to have done a lot of research uh, since we've been in contact in yeah. terms of what other organizations have done in terms of remote onboarding. So what are the other initiatives that, that you've come across that have been interesting? Um, well, I mentioned um, the Motley Fool, which was one that I was super fascinated by and impressed mm -hmm. with. Um, think about ones that are I've seen a lot more companies doing virtual water coolers uh, during mm. this remote environment. Um, that's been common. Something I've seen more happening is the social media inclusion, yeah. which I think is a fine line, but where managers are the ones posting either on LinkedIn or on Twitter that this is my new hire, okay. excited about the new hire, you know, or I've seen some organizations tweeting, this is our new onboarding class and giving them names, you know, so branding an onboarding class. So that there's some sense of a cohort there that you're yeah. moving through this experience together because you all started on the same day. So, um, so I've seen that sort of thing happening. Um, Twitter is one of the ones that I think is fascinating to me because they tweet everything. <laughs> so you okay. can see it if you follow the right people. Um, and they call their onboarding flight school. Okay. I love a good pun. Um, so, yeah. yes, they do. They often are promoting, here's flight school, here is this class. Um, and they're, they've moved fully remote as well. Um, so, yeah, I just think, and I'm interested to see how, 
how the evolution of the social media piece comes in because there is some level of privacy or people maybe not wanting to be public about it or maybe wanting to be the one that manages their message of how they promote their new job on LinkedIn. So some sensitive things to to look out for and I'm sure will be sort of figured out and more forms to sign of consent. Of consent. <laughs> but, um, but by and large, I think it's a good thing. I think... Yeah. Throughout this pandemic, it has become glaringly obvious that there is no ability to compartmentalize. We are work, life, the line is non-existent at this point to a large degree. So um, how do you maintain those different personas? You're not always the same person professionally that you are maybe with your kids or, or, or socially. So how do you start to um, curate your presence in various, uh, on the internet to, to maintain those without a feeling, without feeling inauthentic or without feeling like you're compromising something of yourself. So I feel like that's going to be an interesting evolution uh, as this plays out. Yeah. We did a podcast on that recently about, you know, your flexible work strategy and, you know, that was with Kelly, uh, Williams Yost. And that was fascinating because, you know, this is going to be seen as a differentiator in in the future, you know, is, right. is that, well, how are you going to accommodate my needs or my priorities? Uh, not distractions. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I, I'm, so I'm still curious about other initiatives, if there's any coming to mind. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about then the future then, we talked about evolution where, you know, so if there are other initiatives, I'd love to hear about them. And also, you know, with that, you know, where do you think the evolution might be? Where, where do you think it's going in the future? Um, you know, technology, 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 of course. Mm. Um, I do. I say that combined with personalization, you know, like how can I personalize this journey for you? Um and, and yet make it as seamless as possible. So the idea even of a scavenger hunt that I mentioned, you know, or any kind of gamification, I've seen a lot of big companies, you know, Deloitte has done this, all the kind of big consulting firms have done this of how do I gamify the culture? How do I create a game where it's, and you get points and there's a leaderboard and, and ways, but once somebody gets to know a company or feels like they're an employee, they might not be as inclined to kind of continue to play that game. Um, so how do you create kind of for that unique time period and experience um, technology that ap- appeals to people? So it has some inherent addictive quality or yeah. competitive quality, but yet has enough space for people to really connect with one another. So pairs you with people who, you know, creates a leaderboard of people who are in a similar life stage as you or, um, or have some sort of similar interest that then that provides the bridge for you to have a deeper, meaningful connection with that individual beyond just, oh, we experience the same level of a game of learning together. Um, So I think that the gamification, that technology, but continuously linking it back to some other connection. 
or other way to deepen that connection. Um, I've thought a lot about Priya Parker, who wrote The Art of Gathering a couple years ago. She's She had a podcast called Together Apart the past this past year on the New York Times. And while she talks about just general meaningful connections and um, how you you have to be purposeful, like coming back to my word of intention, when asking people to come together, if you want it to be a meaningful interaction, you know, I've been on a number of Zooms where I'm so frustrated because I feel like there's no purpose to it. And then you all leave drained and then like, I got nothing out of it. So how do I stop that from happening? And I feel like there's a lot of application of her principles from her book to onboarding or to meetings um, and ways to deeper the connection. Because I think that when we focus too much on work, it becomes transactional and we forget the humanity Going yeah. back to our good friend Pierre of yeah. making sure the humanity stays stays part of of your of your life and of your work life. And that is Pierre Bata, our our wonderful friend, Humanity at Work. We both recommend that book, the wonderful yeah. book. Isn't that right, Jen? Yes, we do wholeheartedly. So so now that we've mentioned Pierre, all right, which is great. I was wondering how we were going to work that way in. And and we we do have to work out how we introduce Kerfuffle and Lighthouse Keeper. But anyways, that's an in-joke between the two of us. I am, <laughs> I am, I am, I'm glad you got that joke. I am just curious then, is there a revolution then with the internet uh, there so the internet the company's internet then like this was a thing mm. that i uh, you know a system that i think was just tokenistic you know it was given lip service you know it was only millennials you know that was really utilizing it and i think there's a revolution on the cards in terms of onboarding in terms of gamification yep, who's who right. in terms of network you know social media culture all that I think all the elements are there I think the internet is ripe for revolution what are your thoughts no I totally agree and it's it's another place that um your your like internet within your company can quickly become just a a place a dumping ground or someone thinks oh we need this and they put that toolkit there but there's no thought to how someone would navigate that you know, how would someone find this when they need it? And in a lot of ways, I think companies have more content than they ever might need, but Mm. it's not organized. And it's not organized in a way that a new hire coming in would know there is an answer to this question, but how do I find it? How do I I provide self-service to myself and not burden someone else? Um, And I think that is a huge opportunity. Um, it's going to take, you know, resources and time, but, um, and it's often seen as something that's often dismissed, but I think it has a lot, like very much to your point, so much potential um, because people want to, to provide self-service. They want to turn mm-hmm. their computer off and on before they call IT support. They want to try and work it out themselves. And and if they can do that, great. But oftentimes the information is just so difficult to find that you're left with, let me call the 1-800 number. Let me call the support number. Or, you know, and then that, that burden just becomes heavier. So it's about creating that. And we go back to, 
it has to be systemic. So that social learning then has to come through a system, whatever that system may be. Right. And it doesn't have to be sophisticated. Um, you can have a very basic uh, website design, but you have to be thoughtful of what is the categorization? What's the pathway? You know, if you're not thinking about that, what's your search function? How sophisticated is that search function? And, and what are the typical questions that you new hires are often asking? So if you're not doing that research, um, then it, it's never going to pan out. But um, but I do think there's ways to do it, you know, on a budget. Yeah, great. And, and in terms of research then, you know, and mm -hmm. any facts or findings that you've had in terms of onboarding, you know, is there any interesting facts there? Mm. I think the facts that have uh, become very interesting to me are around turnover and time spent at different employers. Um, when you break that up by industry, you know, like kind of setting the expectations and not taking it so personally. Like what is the, what is the typical um, employee life cycle within my company. And, you know, if, if that's somebody who's coming out of college and this is their first career job, yeah. let me set my expectations. I'm likely, you know, 80%, you're going to leave in two to three years. And being okay with that. Um, I think there's a lot of small companies who take it personally, who feel like someone's leaving you and, um, and I think that moment is so important. So to make sure that that employee wants to maybe one day come back in a different capacity, continues yeah. to stop, to talk positively about you and refers you back, like, don't, don't mess that up. Um, so I do think that there's some trends. I don't have them off the top of my head, but I think there's a lot of trends now around the average time in different employers that should be used to inform expectations um, around how you want to cater the experience to people, um, which could even mean looking for opportunities for people to do external fellowships or partnerships with other organizations, or, you know, how do you incorporate rotations so that people don't feel like they have to leave the job? So all of those things are, are things kind of coming back to onboarding and talent acquisition and, and inputs that are making people look, look again at that process. Um, but the biggest thing I would say for any professional that's in this world to look at is, is that first hire attrition. That's the, yeah. that's the key number that you're going to kind of always go back to. And what's that trend line. And cause you, you assume anyone who comes to a job is going to stay for longer than a year. Yeah. Um, and if they're not, there's something else at play. Okay. So yeah. we're coming near the end uh, here, Jen. Okay. Yeah. And what I want to do is give an opportunity then for if, first of all, if you're a new hire, what advice would you give a new hire? I would say do your homework. Mm -hmm. uh, you've obviously done the homework as a new hire to learn about the company, to ask informed questions and get the job. But now that you have the job, this is the opportunity to network before day one. You know, look on LinkedIn, find out people that are in your apartment, in your department, reach out to them, tell them yeah. that you're starting on this day. Go ahead and pave the way so it's an easier landing for yourself. Yeah. Um, 
And hopefully you have that time, but if you're going from one job to a next, you might not have that time or energy, but um, be willing to lean into being the new hire. Use it as an excuse. I'm new here, so I don't know. Is this normal? Yeah. <laughs> I'm new here. This seems wrong, but I could be wrong. You know, like, yeah. feel, I think it's a, such a freeing role and time yeah. period to be in that I, I encourage people to embrace it. Um, but you only have so much time. It's kind of like the beginning of the year when you say Happy New Year to people. You kind yeah. of, by February, you can't really say Happy New Year anymore. So you have a finite period of time that you can use. I'm new here before people say, I don't, I don't think so. Anymore. I love that idea. Yeah. It's a new hire card, but it's got an expiry date. This voucher yes. will expire. Yeah. I love, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, and so that's for the new hires then for, for the hiring managers or maybe managers then or people in HR or recruiters, mm-hmm. what advice would you give them in terms of, that remote onboarding? Uh, for those in HR and, and kind of the organizers of the onboarding structurally, I think it's to, you know, I think most people in that profession know there's no, there's no dumb questions. There's no questions that, um, that don't have a purpose. You know, mm. there, there's, there's a reason that somebody's asking a question and, and be curious about that. Um, because I think there is a tendency to be defensive and sometimes say, well, that's in the packet or that was in the email. Yeah. And if they're asking the question, the message wasn't received, or maybe there was a different form of communication you should have tried. It doesn't have to be a critique when somebody asks a question. And I just, I just think like kind of for those that are responsible to take a step back in that respect, um, and be willing to, to take those questions as learning. And then for the new, for the manager, um, I think it's re- reflecting that not only is this person starting and is new, but you're, this is a new role for you. You're managing a new person and this is going to be a disruption to whatever dynamic you had. Um, gosh, a throwback to our class of productive equilibrium yeah. or product, what was it? There's like a dysfunction that like range yeah. <laughs> of like of ex- dysfunction we're willing to accept. Yeah. So acknowledging there that there's going to be some ups and downs within that um, acclimation, both to the new hire, to yourself and to the rest of the team. And there's got to be discomfort for there to be growth. And so allowing for that. That is, that is great. Uh, really appreciate that. And so there's any key takeaways then for our listeners today, what might they be? Listen to William's podcast. Keep getting, <laughs> so you can keep getting these tips um, that are so amazing. Um, something I did recently, I was telling William about this before we, um, we started recording was that as I'm going, I'm really diving into onboarding and making this my focus as my career profession and feel as if I'm becoming an expert in this area, but I don't, you know, I don't have a huge network of other professionals that are, that are 
in this, in, in this role. And so I just did a search on LinkedIn and reached out to others to, to create that network myself. And I think for others, a big tip and takeaway is don't be afraid to put yourself out there. There are other people like you in a similar position, in a similar moment in your career. And they would love the opportunity for someone to provide a space to just talk about that and to share lessons learned and challenges. And if people yeah. were then to get in contact with you, Jen, how might they do so? So you talked about that LinkedIn page there. Yeah. So uh, LinkedIn is definitely um, uh, an option to connect with me on LinkedIn. And um, I also have become more active on Twitter. And my handle is Jenmef, so J-E-N-M-E-F-F. And people can find me on there as well. And DMs are open. So okay. Gen Z with my terminology now. Okay, look at you, look at you. And in terms of LinkedIn then, uh, yeah. how might they contact you? Yep, uh, so just through through my name, um, and I can make sure, William, you have all the connections, but Jennifer Meffert uh, on LinkedIn. And I think my LinkedIn profile is actually just my name at the end, so. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much for that today. I really enjoyed that conversation that we had just there and I'm sure the audience did as well oh I loved it always lovely to talk to you that's it for this episode of the workplace podcast my special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion if you want to get in contact with the podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing contact me via twitter at different paths you can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner, provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization. <laughs>